listeners, my name is Dean Wirtz, and you are listening to Pen Pals, bringing you Philadelphia's stories from a distance. And today we are going to be talking about every pre-med's favorite subject, the MCAT. And today we have Ari, a teacher of MCAT prep at Kaplan. And if you want to tell us your background, because I probably can't say it as well as you can, go right ahead. Sure. Uh, I'm currently an instructor for Kaplan. I primarily teach the MCAT. Um, and I guess my journey towards teaching for Kaplan is, is not so traditional. I think a lot of teachers who do end up teaching for Kaplan were actually former Kaplan students themselves and either wanted something to tie them over in their gap year or continue to teach in through med school, which is crazy, by the way. Um, but uh, my own journey, I, I have a bachelor's degree in biomedical, bio, biological sciences um, from the University of Calgary. I'm Canadian, by the way, so I'm not even American. Um, and uh, I went and did some graduate work in biochemistry for structural, uh, structural determination of proteins um, and finished with a PhD a while back. Uh, and in the process of finishing up, um, I started a family. And so I took a pause on uh, my professional career and had uh, three kids. And then in the midst of um, you know being at home with my three kids, I realized I really do want to do something um, outside of uh, you know staying at home. But I wanted something with the flexibility of still staying with my family because they were, they were quite young. And so um, I had a friend who, a colleague um, who taught for Kaplan and um, suggested maybe I, I approach something like this. But the, the biggest hurdle there was I hadn't taken the MCAT before. Um, I hadn't actually been in school for, you know, 15 years at that point. Um, so I was like, you know, it's honestly, there's no risk to it. Like, I might as well go ahead and, and try to study for it. Um, I'm at home anyways, so I might as well give it a go and see where it ends up. Uh, so I took a really, really long amount of time to wrap myself up back into the, into the content. Um, I studied through books and I took a bunch of practice tests. I learned a lot of lessons actually, and they're all lessons I like to share with my own students about process and timelines and journeys and how, what's the best way versus here's a way that I did and it was terrible, don't do this. Um, and I think, um, you know, it took a long time. It was a, it was a humbling experience from, you know, my own kind of grandiose notions of what I had learned through my my PhD and how very, very, very specific <laughs> the knowledge you get from a PhD versus the broadness of content development that you need to know uh, for the MCAT. But yeah, it took me a really long time, um, but I did it eventually and started teaching for Kaplan. And here I am five years later, still teaching for Kaplan. Um, and this has become my career. You know, I, I don't really have any big desire to go back into research, which is what I thought I would do after my PhD. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a medical doctor, but I am a, I do have a doctorate in biochem and, um, I love it. It's, it's so much fun, um, kind of, you know, sharing ways to learn, I guess, is, is not even just, you know, I want to teach you about metabolic processes, or I want to teach you how to break down cars, but more about the, the metacognitive development of learning how to learn um, is probably one of my favorite parts of, of teaching and doing other roles within Kaplan itself. That's fascinating. And we'll, we'll get back more into Kaplan as we go, but taking kind of a retrospective uh, step back, just talking about what the MCAT is, and if you're willing to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. 
Sure. So the MCAT is a really large test um, that is one of the necessary components for uh, students to submit applications and be accepted into medical schools. Um, on the whole, it's more of a North American test, although I, I have now read that there are multiple countries that do administer the MCAT and use it for their application processes. Um, it is administered through the body called AMC, so American, oh, <laughs> and I meant to look it up, but AMC is the, the, the governing body that administers things like the MCAT. Um, and, and they, you know, they administer this computer-based task that encompasses four kind of big uh, sections within the test itself. So you got your chemical and physical sciences, you got your critical analysis and reading skills, you have your biological sciences, and then you've got behavioral sciences. So those are the three, four big sections, three of them science-wise, and one of them is more about application of, of reading comprehension and um, analysis skills. It's, it's, it's a test that's been along for a really long time. I think that, I believe the first iteration of this was in the late 1920s, actually. Mm. Um, and the reason why he, this, this physician, this, this guy named Dr. Moss uh, decided he wanted to do is because the dropout rates for medical school were ridiculous at <laughs> the beginning. Uh, you know, people would like be like, hey, yeah, let's try medicine and they go. And then, you know, I think it, the, the number I saw cited was like upwards of 50%. Like people would start med school and like 50% of them would drop out because of the rigorousness. Uh, so they wanted to kind of upfront or essentially like call the weeds, I guess, um, and figure out if there's a way of uh, assessing, you know, st student knowledge um, in preparation, I guess, for something as rigorous as med school, even back in the 20s. Um, and so, yeah, so they came up with this test um, and it's undergone, mult obviously, multiple, multiple revisions. I believe we're currently on the fifth or sixth current big revision of the test itself. And, um, you know, I think it's an iterative process. They're always kind of looking for better ways to assess knowledge, to assess readiness, to assess, you know, whether or not you're a good fit um, for medical school. And, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of history behind um, the different versions. I think it's fascinating. I actually didn't take the current version you're studying for, Dean. Oh. Um, I took the previous version of it in 2014 um, in preparation to, to start teaching for Kaplan, which is, you know, I've because I, I my own background is biochemistry. I um, was a little sad that I didn't get to do it, but I wasn't willing to wait another whole year just so I could take the new version. Um, but yeah, I didn't have biochem, which is really interesting. That uh, when they were preparing for this most recent version of the MCAT, um, they surveyed a whole bunch of uh, admission committee members, medical students, you know, residents, things like that. And they they asked them in terms of science content, what was the most important science that they needed students need to have mastered uh, for med school, and they said biochemistry. Hence, why that was the new addition for for this on top of the behavioral science, but they, they ranked biochem as the most important topic. I thought it was super fascinating. Wow, there's, there's a lot to unpackage there. I mean, <laughs> I think it's awesome. One thing that you were able to take the previous iteration of the test, but still successfully teach the newer iteration, meaning that there's not two, it's not a completely different test, which is good <laughs> to hear. <laughs> um, and also just for the listeners out there, I did a quick little Google search and it is the Association of American Medical Colleges. There we go. Yeah. So, I knew there was American was in there. I didn't think about <laughs> the other one was, but awesome. And does Canada also use the MCAT as a 
It's, oh, Canada's in North America. I don't know why. It's, it's true. So here's the thing. Canada's a little bit odd. Um, I guess in comparison to the American uh, medical system, we Canada does not have nearly as m- many medical schools as um, the States does. And I think the way that they use the different components of application is fairly different. Like for instance, I live um, in Ontario and there's at least one school in Ontario, at least one medical school in Ontario that does not actually even consider the MCAT at all. So they weigh the MCAT very differently. Um, there's another school in Ontario that only looks at the car scores, for instance, and they don't even care about the sciences. Um, so it, it is used for sure. And there are certainly Canadian students that do take the MCAT every year. Um, but I guess the emphasis is a lot more different. The application tends to be a lot more, mm, I guess on the holistic sense, right? So they look at GPA and obviously MCAT if, if, they, if it's applicable, but the other components of the um, application. So it's, it's different for sure. It's pretty competitive <laughs> given the limitations. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think you also brought up something very interesting about this whole barrier of entry kind of weeding out or preventing high dropout rates. Um, And so you think that kind of the ability to study this and kind of, do you think it's like more like it shows you're really dedicated to doing this or it proves that you have the mental capacity to handle it or Am I saying the same thing twice? (laughs) Well, no, I don't, I don't think those are two different things. I think, no, I think those are two different things. You're right. Um, But I think both it'd be, yes, like you're right. It does um, kind of, make make applicants very serious and I and at this point I, I kind of doubt that anyone applying into med school is not serious about the process um, it's a it's a big long journey <laughs> to actually get into med school the timeline is quite large and um, anything anybody who's in this process I don't doubt that they're dedicated um, to getting in there I think at this point though for things like the MCAT you know it does it does assess you know things like, your skills and your science content background and the, and the abilities for you to use reasoning skills to get into there. But I think of it more like a training process rather than a hurdle, right? I think everyone thinks that the MCAT is just this, this, this thing that's preventing me from getting to my dreams. Um, and it's just this big, horrible test and it's mean and it's tricky and they're out there to kind of smush me into pieces. Um, and I can, I can understand that. I guess from a student's perspective, I can totally see why people would think about the test this way. But having taught it, having obviously studied and taken it myself, um, I think the lessons we learn from the process is how do I become a good problem solver? We talk a lot in class, in our classes about, you know, we don't want doctors that are just walking Googles, right? We can Google anything. We have the power of everything at our fingertips. So we're not really interested in, in knowledge regurgitation, but you know, are you able to piece out the relevant little details coming from your patient, coming from your non-visual, non-verbal cues, like looking at your patients, interacting with your patients, um, test results, obviously, all of that to synthesize to come towards at least a better um, avenue of care than you, know, you have cancer coming from PubMed or Dr. Google or Dr. WebMD, <laughs> right? <laughs> Of course. And I think it's also interesting because what's kind of gotten me through this uh, post-baccalaureate program is knowing that maybe I won't use stoichiometry in a clinical office or in an operating room. Although Dr. P in his intro to chemistry class was wonderful. But I think what you were saying is kind of 
it's not just the ability to do stoichiometry. It's the ability to apply your knowledge at something quickly and do it correctly. Right. And even if it's not a super straightforward problem, I think a lot of the recent feedback I've been getting from students who've, who've taken the MCAT this past year um, has centered around, you know, it's not, it's not like straightforward problems. Even, even the stoichiometry that you mentioned, Dean, um, it's not necessarily just like plug and chug. I got to recall this equation. I've got these values in the passage. I'm going to put them together and get a number. It's not even like that. They're very unique styles of problems. And I think from a non-experienced um, MCAT uh, you know, taker, test taker, it, it seems unfair, right? I didn't study this. I don't, I don't know this system. How am I supposed to figure this out? And I think a lot of like the tips I've been sharing with students is I don't want you to just like memorize equations. I think it's just, it's not how it's tested. They care more about, are you paying attention to the units? Are you paying attention to um, the application? Like, what does that term actually mean in the equation itself? Um, so it's, it's, it's more... It's, it's more critical reasoning skills, like plug and chug a calculator to that. There's not critical reasoning in there. Um, are you able to understand what the equation is telling you? Then yes, you will succeed. Even if it's a brand new system, a brand new problem you've never seen before, um, that's what the MCAT is looking for. Yeah, and I think that even going past the science, I have to say with doing these practice tests, these some of these cars package, passages about how Everyone says that uh, Bob Dylan and John Lennon got worse as they got older. They're like, it's, there's a reason for that. Like their brains are actually less creative. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I know I have to do this in four minutes, but I can't stop thinking about this. And it followed me for days thinking about like the weird concepts you'll go through in a car's basket. You will, they're very creative. I will say I've, I've on occasion, I've been like, wow, that's super interesting. I'm going to go like Google it. Um, I learned a lot through those cards passages, um, but there's a good method. There's a reason, there's a rhyme, there's a pattern to discover in, in cards passages as well, which, you know, I know that a lot of students also struggle with cars analysis, how, um, how hard it is to do in a time compressed uh, fashion, how abstract and weird the language can be in those passages themselves. Um, but I think, you know, the bigger overview of zooming out from the content in the car's passages and looking for those patterns. Oh, it's an argument. Oh, here's a, here's a counter. These are some examples. If you think of, of analyzing text, whether it's in cars or even in the sciences as a piece of text, you know, with an author behind it, um, there, you really can't go wrong. It doesn't need to depend on the content itself. You know, what the details are describing as abstract or as obscure as it could be, it's, there's, there's a method to, to really anything um, that is a part of a standardized test. There has to be a method. Yes, and I think it is just so interesting because the way, at least, I, I can't speak for Canadian uh, schooling, but for at least Northeastern or South Connecticut uh, <laughs> upbringing was a lot of our English teaching was kind of looking at things at an abstract way and kind of funneling them down in our own words to how we thought about it. And there was a lot more freedom about your interpretation of uh, what you thought about the main characters of Lord of the Flies. Like, was it an allegory or was it just a bunch of kids and this is why you need adults around? Like this is, you could really go any way that you want. And with our science and math learning, a lot of it, it wasn't looking at things like this, it was looking at things like this and just picking out equations and just using it for that right, like, exact situation where I think cars and even the 
biology and chemistry passages, it kind of, it's like a whole new way of looking at things where you have to look at this and compress it into the right version of this. And it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> it can be, it's a very different way of thinking. And I think that's, that's one kind of fault, I guess, with how science is taught in schools. Um, whether it's, you know, in high school or in, in, in university, is that we often tend to compartmentalize science, right? We, we take a physics class, we take a bio class, and never the twain shall meet. But science doesn't care about boundaries. They don't care that, you know, you know it's a physics problem, therefore there is no biological sense in there. Um, that's one thing I really appreciate about the new version of the MCAT. My, the old version, when, when we had just a physics section and a chemistry section, um, there was really no overlap. There's no application. Um, and one of the things I always kind of bring up is when I was studying for the MCAT, I had to do all these problems with like balls shooting out of cannons. And I was just like, oh, so boring. I hate doing problems like this because I was like, who cares? As a, as a future physician, why would they care about projectile motion coming from a cannon? But then, you know, the, the, the way that the new MCAT works is they, they merge a lot of the sciences together to help understand um, science problems in a biological context, which is infinitely more interesting than a clown shooting from a cannon. They talk about, you know, the ability for you to maintain rotational equilibrium while you stand up. They talk about, you know, uh, the translational force that exerts, you know, when you, when you fall on your hand and how, you know, when you break something in your arm, because you fell on your hand on your palm is not because the break is going to happen on your palm. It translates all the ways up and it's often going to be somewhere in your elbow. Like those are all really interesting problems. Um, that is, I think appeals a lot more to people who are in the pre-med background. I think it's initially jarring because that's not how we're used to thinking about science, but it's the next step beyond, you know, merging science together to talk about starling forces in the kidney and, how the circuitry system is really one giant circuit. I think it's really cool the way that the science works this way. Um, and I, I love seeing that broadness, I guess, of science application and you know, in the passages and the questions that are tested, but also in the way that students start synthesizing that information. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, the photon radiation problems also always get me with the x-rays, but you know. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> But um, okay, so now kind of pivoting a little bit, uh, talking about, you spoke about this in the 1920s and previous before that, there was kind of a high dropout rate. Were medical students assessed before the MCAT or like, what was their, like, you know what? I didn't really mind when we had to, you know, make meat at the farm. So I think it's time to become a doctor. Like, was there a... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't have like actual like data or proof because obviously like note taking and data accumulation in the 20s was not as accurate as it probably could have been. Um, but it was probably just like grades and, and your ability to be probably, um, I, I'm, I'm looking for the word and I don't, I don't know if I've got it. It's, I guess, recommended, right? Mm -hmm. Like your ability to talk to the teachers in the school or maybe from the school that you're coming in from. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing it was just a lot more 
maybe not as objective as it could have been <laughs> and um, maybe a little bit more on the subjective realm. And, uh, and that's, that's probably where this was going, right? Um, yeah. If you don't really get a proper assessment of somebody getting into something as rigorous as medicine, then I can envision that's why they have such a high dropout rate. So probably just GPAs and, and who you knew <laughs> to get you into that med school. Wow. Yeah, that, that does sound wild now coming from only knowing this. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, now coming into a little bit more of your fields, more particularly, um, what does Kaplan play a role in the whole MCAT situation? <laughs> right. Uh, we, we cover things like comprehensive courses, as, as you know, Dean, and then uh, we expand beyond, you know, we do a lot of work with you know, publishing textbooks that I know is a, is a big component for a very, very large number of pre-med studying for the MCAT. Um, we provide things like uh, free events on a very regular basis so that, you know, at least we can open up the scope and the range of helping pre-meds out, regardless of whether or not you're a specific uh, student in one of our classes. Um, I encourage anyone to take advantage of any of the free, um, you know, resources that we have uh, with Kaplan. Um, I, I play a regular role in, in, in helping to teach a lot of those free events as well. So I think they give us like, you know, for those who are just interested and, and, and they're not sure whether or not they want to um, enroll in a course, I think it gives us a good glimpse, but it's certainly not limited to that whatsoever. That, um, taking advantage of anything out there. The internet is vast and broad and has a lot of uh, resources out there. I think um, that's, that's one thing that I think uh, Kaplan does a great job of providing. But in addition to that, I think I have, I have a way of, of viewing this. Like, you know, in, during this pandemic season, I think <laughs> this seems like a really odd segue, but I promise there's a point. Um, you know, we've been, we've been housebound. We've been not able to go out as much as we, we possibly could. And definitely... Uh, you know, my, I've been sitting a lot. And one of the things I used to go and do was, you know, sign up for a gym and go work out and things like that. And then I thought, well, why am I doing that? There's like a bajillion workout videos online. I could just do that for free in the privacy of my own home and whenever it's convenient to me. Um, I tried it, didn't work very well. Uh, it's because I guess of the commitment of attending an actual running class that I paid for. And I kind of view MCAT studying kind of the same way. I think a lot of students do end up trying it out on their own, um, studying you know, with a, a, with a schedule they've created, um, but having a hard time really sticking with it. Um, and I think our courses do provide the option of, you know, you got to show up to a class, you have all the resources necessary, you don't have to go and, you know, search out which, which resources is the best, it kind of comes all included, kind of like going to a gym, it's got all the weights, and it's got all the exercise equipments there, so you don't have to go and buy additional things. Um, and so it's an option, certainly not the only way I've got you know, plenty of students that I've met through the, the course of teaching for Kaplan that have done it on their own. That's totally fine and awesome. But I will say as a student who kind of did it on their own, it took me almost an entire year to do this outside of Kaplan. I didn't use any Kaplan materials other than a couple of books that I had found to study for the MCAT. And I had many, many different times I was, I was like, man, I wish I had somebody to ask whether or not this was important because all I did was study a bunch of stuff. Um, that ended up not being testable on the MCAT because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. So having experts and guidance and, you know, beyond that, if you, if you know any pre-meds that are studying and have done it successfully, 
go hit up your resources, man. Don't be limited to, to just like trying to do it on your own. I know everyone works really hard, um, but it certainly doesn't need to be a sole one person endeavor. So yeah, that's, I feel like that's what Kaplan's role is, is, is providing a resource. Yeah. And I must say the resources are pretty readable. I mean, I, I need to really bone up on the behavioral sciences. I've been reading your book for that. And uh, it's, it's good. I had nightmares about cracking those books open because of SAT studying back in the day. But uh, after reading them, they, you know, they've got, I like how it's, it's a very good balance in Kaplan of consuming information and being quizzed on it frequently. So it's not, it's not just, okay, you're going to read chapters one through five, and then here's four questions <laughs> to cover this entire material. So it's like very, every few sections, here's 15 questions. So it's, I think that makes it uh, a lot more kind of, it, you can feel your progression. I don't know. Right. It's very right. nice about it. And uh, I'm not just plugging Kaplan because of this interview. You know, I would say this, I would say this to Princeton Review too. All right, I would say. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> um, so keep going. Uh, so we're, uh, I'm also curious, why have you stayed with Kaplan? Like, why was it that you chose, like, I really enjoy it here? Uh, do you think that it's like, you really like what they're pushing? I, I, I think one of the things that, that draws me to and keeps me here is um, development wise, you know, beyond the role of me teaching um, on camera for courses, I also play roles off camera, right? So all of our online classes have at least two teachers in them. I love being able to listen and learn from other teachers, teach the exact same thing I teach like on a regular basis. Every time I teach with another uh, instructor off camera, I'm like, wow, that's a great way of putting it. Um, I, I love those avenues of exploring different ways of teaching things. In addition to that, I also tutor. And so that more one-on-one -on -one interaction with students and being able to listen to their actual thought processes. And, you know, I do this thing where I often just like, I, I set a task for a student and I ask them just to go ahead and just do it. And so, you know, online, this is, there's a really good way of doing this. I just watch them. I watch them scroll. I watch them like think through things. I watch them and I pause. Um, and it gives me a really good, interesting glimpse into the thought processes that I, I don't know if I'd never ever would have noticed, um, you know, classroom teaching online. I don't really get to see people. <laughs> and so facial expression becomes actually really interesting to also view from my point. Um, in addition to that, I do a lot of content development work. So I do a lot of um, uh, question and passage creation. Uh, we do um, video recordings, we update our full links, we take part in um, you know, constructing new lessons. So content development is, is another big role that I do. And this is where I get to flex um, my creative juices, right? I, I, I'm not really an artsy person, Right. I, I, you know, not, not really, not creative wise. I, I'm a good mimicker, I think. Um, but I love the ability of like looking at a cool problem thinking that would be such a good MCAT question. <laughs> and so <laughs> a lot of the lessons that are in the lesson book that you learn from are ones that I actually created on my own. Um, and I love hearing the interaction. I never tell people that I, I, I wrote that passage you guys are doing because then I'll get like, oh, you're the reason why this is so hard. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love the interaction and the honest feedback I get from students when they say, yeah, that actually 
that actually does a good job. That that seems very much like how the AMC would test it, or mm. um, that was a really good exercise in learning this new skill, or not, right? I love the honest feedback because that's why I don't tell people <laughs> they wrote them because I want to hear it all. Um, so yeah, I think I think that the combination of of creating lessons and actually then seeing it in action with students, that kind of back and forth. Um, is what draws me and keeps me here. I, I love my role with Kaplan. Yeah, it's a, it's a very humbling way about going about it, not not putting yourself on the pedestal and being like, you know, I want you to know that I made this question and I made all of these questions. So if there's any- Nobody bad, gives uh, me honest feedback if I say that. <laughs> well, I feel like that's also good that you set that environment because I feel like a lot of the times when people go in for feedback, for the most part, I feel like no one gives good feedback a lot of the time because people will only write reviews when they're upset. <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Very, very humbling as well, I will say. Yeah. So I, I respect the fight that you're going for here. So that's awesome. And um, let's talk about a little bit. You were saying that it's possible for some people to do it alone, some people to do it with a class, but in general, given um, kind of your average student, what would you say is like the timeline for studying for an MCAT? Great question. I think it ranges so widely. And I, I once thought about this, like how do I know when a student is, you know, they're projecting a certain kind of timeline in a testing, whether or not they're going to succeed. And I think on a whole, students vastly underestimate the amount of time and effort it takes to do well on the MCAT to get to their goal score. And then I once thought, okay, well, why is that? <laughs> why, why are we under budgeting? Why are um, we shorting ourselves in the time? Because it's not because it's a fault of the, the student. It's there's a, somewhere out there, somebody's unrealistic expectation it is it's permeated every student. Um, and they feel like this is, this is um, an, a shortcoming of themselves if they're not able to do it in three months or whatever. So I think what has been cited as the average amount of time that a student will take is around three months. Um, I will say from my experiments with students, it kind of depends on where they're at. So for example, if they recently took a lot of those prereqs or they're currently in the midst of taking it while studying for the MCAT, um, not that I would really recommend students have a really hard course load and study for the MCAT, but if that content is relatively fresh and they did, you know, pretty, pretty okay job in those courses, then it upfronts a lot of the content, you know, content review, content memorization, and they could just do skill development, right? So how do I analyze passages and questions? And yeah, I would say three, three months is probably a good span of time then. But if you're in a situation which is encompassing a larger and larger proportion of students these days is that they took those like years ago or they took it and they didn't do great on those courses or they're like I did a good I had a good GPA but my teacher did a terrible job of teaching me that content so I just kind of snuck it through somehow if I think if any student is in those kind of boxes that that scope of the timeline becomes much larger. So it ends up being something closer to six months or even a year, which is what I took. I took about a year to study for the MCAT because I had to essentially start from scratch. Um, so what I would recommend for students is to, you know, be, be gracious on themselves, right? I think timelines are 
it's important to have a goal, but I think putting a time limit on that goal just applies unnecessary pressure for performance. And it's not a fault of the student itself. It's more like that's just part of the process. And yeah, it's probably gonna take a little bit longer than I thought. So I would say, you know, generously, solid three to six months is the average for most students to study from start to finish. And that a lot of students, you know, do that, they take their tests and they don't get a great score and have to continue studying. That is not unusual for students to take upwards of a year or even longer to successfully get to their goal score. And again, it's not because they're dumb or they're lacking in abilities or they're not good doctors, future doctors. That's just, that's just how it goes. This is a test that, that covers not one course, but you know, eight or nine courses worth of material. That's huge for one test. Um, so think, think more broadly, like, you know, don't beat yourself up if you can't do it in two months. Cause that guy on Reddit did it in two months. Um, nobody needs to hear those stories. Those are not your journey. It's, that's, this is your own path. Um, and if it takes you longer to get there, well, that shows dedication, that shows perseverance, right? That shows your willingness for what you want to do in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much. That was, that was very inspiring. <laughs> It's very real. I, I have many students that, that start with a, a, a timeline and having to adjust that is, I think, honestly, some students have to go through a little bit of, of grief, right? They've planned out their future and it's not going the way that they thought. Um, it's not because they can't be doctors. It's just it's not fitting within the scope of their timeline. And it's, it's not all that reasonable to expect yourself to get to something good, like to, to develop the skills in a certain kind of a time is not really necessary. Like for instance, like somebody training for a marathon, right? That's saying, okay, well, I'm gonna run a really good time for this marathon in two months. Well, maybe, <laughs> possibly, I guess. I can't say no, you can't, but is, is, that, is that realistic? I don't know, maybe your goal should be, I'm going to run a marathon rather than I'm gonna do it in a certain kind of period of time, so. Yeah, that's my take. Um, I just have a lot of students who set themselves up that way. And I wish I wish they would walk into this knowing that it's not always going to be possible, I guess. Yeah, no, that's that's really good to hear. I mean, especially coming that I am battling with the idea of whether I'm taking the test in, in late spring or moving it back with a course load. So it's, I, yeah, I can, I can empathize with, you know, the what you're putting forth here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I guess kind of you were talking about people just like not looking at Reddit or how to kind of navigate the getting closer to the date or thinking about taking the MCAT. What do you see as common pitfalls or kind of misconceptions that people have coming in specifically or thinking about the MCAT? Yeah. I think it's very much related to uh, what I just said is uh, they've got expectations that aren't necessarily important, honestly. And um, I think it's, it's the pressure to get into med school right away after their undergraduate career or, or their post-bac and feeling like, well, there, maybe I'm not, a, I'm not meant to be a doctor if I can't do it in this timeline. So I think in terms of pitfalls, I would just, I would recommend that you know, if this is what you want to do, right, this is going to be a big bone for the rest of your life that, you know, you budget appropriately for this, right? Don't, 
you know, don't have a huge course load and, you know, have all these other extracurriculars and, you know, do your sports and all this other stuff at the same time and volunteering and shadowing. And I know not necessarily all that easy to do right now, um, but be realistic, I guess, about your time and about your mental capacity to juggle all those things at the same time. Um, especially if you're studying for the MCAT uh, while you're in school. I think that's a really, really big load for, for anyone to take. Um, and then if it turns out that, you know, you're approaching your test date and it's not going well, like your practice tests are not within realm of your, of your test, uh, your goal score, then don't just take it. <laughs> Med school, see all of your scores, whether or not they just take one specific score um, as a part of their application, they see all of them. Um, so you don't really want to have a score on your application that isn't necessarily reflective of what your abilities. Now, that's not to say people don't take the MCAT more than once. They certainly do. It's really, really common. I just don't think people should plan to take it more than once, right? Don't walk into the saying, well, this is my like practice one. This is, I just want to get a sense or a feel of how this goes. Not worth it. Not worth it for med schools to see all that stuff on your application. Um, so, you know, use your practice tests to judge whether or not you're within range of your goal. And if you are, go for it. And if it turns out that that didn't happen on test day, something went weird or sideways, then yeah, take it again. Right? That's 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 totally fine. Um, but don't plan to take it more than once. You know, make it your one and done, like we say in class. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think uh, that. That covered my next question of recommendations you would give to future MCAT students or MCAT takers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, thank you for everything, Ari. That was, that was a remarkable interview, at least in my opinion. I am a little biased, but. Um, it was fun talking. Yeah, no, it was, it was excellent. And I hope all you listeners out there had a great time uh, listening to this interview with Ari, teacher at Kaplan, uh, test prep and uh have a great rest of your days thank you